0: M-S-W-Media. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting the Daily Beans. Aura Frames makes digital picture frames designed to easily fill your home with photos of family and friends shared instantly from an app. From now until Father's Day, save on the perfect gift and get up to $20 off your order while supplies last by going to AuraFrames.com and use promo code Daily Beans. <laughs>
1: Daily beans, daily beans.
2: Daily beans, daily beans.
0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. Today, big reveals in this morning's 1-6 committee hearing, including that Rudy was drunk. Attorney General Merrick Garland says he and the January Six prosecutors are watching the hearings closely. There have been conversations inside the Justice Department about the potential implications of pursuing a case against the former president. Navarro's motion to delay his arraignment for contempt of Congress has been denied. The officers who arrested the 31 White Power Patriot Front members are receiving death threats, and Kimberly Guilfoyle was paid $60,000 to speak for two and a half minutes at the Ellipse rally. I'm Allison Gill, and I'm Dana Goldberg. That's right, everybody. Dana is back. Yay. I am
1: back. I'm still on the East Coast, which is why we've got my non-professional recording equipment, but it sounds... It, no one's been complaining, so it's good. But yeah, I'll be back in Los Angeles tomorrow
0: and we'll be good as new. Awesome. And then I'll be leaving, but we'll still be doing the beans together. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's all this cross-country travel. I feel like we're doing that, you know, the map in Sleepless in Seattle. But uh, it's it's going to be a big show uh, today, and I'm so glad that you were able to make it uh, because we're going to discuss a few things later on the show. I'm going to be talking to Victor. She he's the co-host of iGen Politics podcast. He does that with Jill Weinbanks. We're going to discuss the hearings. I watched them with him and a group of others last Thursday. He's uh, young. He's he started in politics. Dana as a Biden elector at the age of 18. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. And he's just absolutely incredible. He just won an internship. He got an internship at the White House. Um, and he's he's 20. We can't even have a drink. That's how young this, <laughs> this amazing up and comer is. And I'm going to be talking to him. He's truly just a brilliant mind. And I'm excited to see what he does. With that, we have lots of news to get to today. So let's hit hot notes. Hot notes.
1: All
0: right. Today, we saw the second hearing in a series of six planned for this month by the select committee investigating the coup. And there were a few big reveals, and this is coming from Kyle Cheney and Nicholas Wu at Politico. They say the committee's case that former President Donald Trump stoked a violent insurrection rests on a fundamental premise. Trump was endlessly told over and over that his claims of election fraud were false, and he amplified them anyway. At Monday's hearing, the panel uploaded a stream of evidence, most of it videotaped interviews, that showed Trump's own top advisers repeatedly telling him his election claims were wrong. Time and again, no matter what detailed corroboration they provided or what evidence they showed him, advisors testified that Trump responded with derision, ultimately pushing those aides aside in favor of the fringe lawyers willing to echo false allegations. And he would actually say, you know, when shown the proof that that his fraud claims were false, each individual thing, he would say, Okay, fine, but what about all the others? He would just say that over and over. And uh, here's a quote. I didn't mind being characterized as part of team normal. That's Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien testifying to the committee in a newly aired clip, contrasting himself favorably to the attorneys who took up Trump's crusade. So so team team not normal. (laughs) Rudy and the rest. Now, there was even a team not not normal, which was like Sidney Powell and all those like people that were too crazy for for the Rudy team. So there's a whole host of these people, right, on Team Normal. Stepien, Attorney General Bill Barr, campaign aides Matt Morgan and Alex Cannon, Barr's successor Jeff Rosen, Rosen's deputy Richard Donahue, White House advisors Eric Hirschman and Derek Lyons all delved into fraud claims that gained Trump's favor, according to testimony aired Monday and all told Trump there was nothing to them. Nothing, nothing at all. But Trump shunted Stepien and others uh, in favor of Rudy who, while apparently inebriated, convinced Trump on election night to declare victory. (laughs) Not surprising, my God. (laughs) And Sidney Powell, the two attorneys who drove Trump's fraud claims when the others would not. Morgan, campaign counsel, described in another video how outside lawyers who had signed up to help on election day disengaged with the campaign because law firms were not comfortable making the same arguments Rudy was making publicly. And that makes sense because he's in the middle of sanctions hearings and apparently
1: on two buck Chuck. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> most of the aides did not speak out publicly on their attempts to quell Trump's efforts, even as the lies grew more and more pronounced and were accepted by huge swaths of voters and donors. Instead, they privately told The then president, he was wrong and counseled him to back off some of the more extreme claims. Those claims included a suitcase of ballots seen on camera in Georgia's State Farm Arena was evidence of fraud, that thousands of dead people voted in multiple states and that the Dominion voting machines were shifting votes to Joe Biden from Trump. The committee also spun its debunking attempts forward to more recent disinformation efforts, airing a lengthy clip of Bill Barr dismantling the premise of the recently released film Two Thousand Mules, which he laughed at. uh, But Trump touted as the long elusive evidence of the 2020 election fraud and uh, Barr just destroyed it. He says before the election, it was possible to talk sense to the president. And while you sometimes had to engage in a big wrestling match with him, it was possible to keep things on track. I felt that after the election, he wasn't listening to advice from me, Unquote. Trump's aides characterized him as increasingly cloistered within a shrinking group of advisors willing to push his claims while he ostracized so-called team normal. He elbowed aside his campaign legal team in favor of the Giuliani-Powell effort after they refused to validate his fraud allegations. Team Normal would not be part of it. So he sought to replace the leadership at the Justice Department for the same reason, only to back down amid a mass resignation threat. Now, Monday's hearing, of course, didn't absolve these aides of blame either. However, as lawmakers showed that Trump campaign officials used fraud claims that they apparently called wrong in private to raise more than $250 million in the weeks following the election including $100 million in the first week as fundraising emails urged donors to contribute to, quote, an election defense fund. However, no fund existed, according to campaign aides who spoke to the select committee. The select committee also showed that even before the election, some of Trump's top political advisors urged him to embrace mail-in voting, <laughs> hopeful that a proliferation of the practice amid the COVID-19 pandemic could benefit Republicans. Stepien and House GOP leader McCarthy met with Trump in the summer of 2020 to press him on that. And with both Stepien and McCarthy urging Trump to support mail-in voting, but Trump would not, according to Stepien, and instead worked to convince supporters that mail-in voting was a bastion of fraud that would result in an illegitimate election. Barr helped him with these claims on mail-in voting fraud, by the way. Trump pushed that argument all the way through Election Day and then used the slow pace of counting mail-in ballots in certain states to claim he was being cheated. We called it the Red Mirage. We knew it was coming. Lawmakers showed that Trump's predilection for listening to Rudy over his advisors and even family members like Kushner and uh, his daughter, Ivanka, began immediately after the election. There were suggestions by, I believe it was Rudy Giuliani, to go and declare victory and say we'd won it outright. That's former Trump advisor Jason Miller in a video Lord. of his interview, yeah, played by the select panel. Both Miller and Stepien told the panel in testimony that Giuliani appeared drunk at the time. <laughs> uh. Here's another quote. My recommendation was to say that votes were still being counted and it's too early to tell. That's Stepien, testifying. But Trump disagreed. Instead, delivering a combative statement that declared victory and alleged widespread fraud. Those claims were later proven false. Now, the January 6th committee used Monday's second of six scheduled public hearings to highlight the corrosive effect of the big lie, and now what they're calling the big ripoff. And those lies served as scaffolding to support every other aspect of Trump's effort to remain in office, from his push to get the Justice Department. To say there was, you know, election fraud to the pressure he, he put on then Vice President Mike Pence to derail the transition of power. The panel also heard from Stepien's attorney, Kevin Marino, who testified instead after Stepien had a family emergency, his wife went into labor. And then former Fox News political editor Chris Stierwalt, who was fired for calling Arizona for Biden, also gave testimony. And the hearing featured a second panel, including prominent GOP elections attorney Ben Ginsburg, former Philadelphia Commissioner Al Schmidt and former U.S. attorney for North Georgia, B.J. Pack. And I was hoping that B.J. Pack would talk about why he resigned, but he didn't. He previously testified about the pressure Trump and his allies put on him and other officials to get them to investigate false claims of election fraud. And with regards to that slush fund, Dana, mm-hmm. that Donald, Donald set up to defraud donors, yeah. we've learned, we've learned uh, since in interviews after the hearing today that he actually used that money to enrich his family and himself and some of his allies, making large donations to both Mark Meadows and Paul Manafort.
1: I think there's a good chance that right there, A.G., it will be surprised if that's not, If it, even if that's the thing that takes him down, I'll just be fine if something does.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now. incredible, and I I can't believe I'm saying this, my God, but Liz Cheney, her powerful remarks on Thursday night's January 6th congressional hearing on the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which sounded a lot like a lawyer's opening statement at a criminal trial, have renewed a debate in legal circles about whether the Justice Department could and should prosecute Donald Trump. Now, with a growing body of evidence that Cheney and others say points to criminal acts involving Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, Attorney General Merrick Garland may ultimately be faced with an excruciatingly difficult decision about whether prosecuting a former president is in the national interest. It fucking is, by the way. It is, it is, yeah. Yeah, a person familiar with the matter told NBC News there have been conversations inside the Justice Department about far-reaching implications of pursuing a case against Donald. Should it come to that? So far, no public evidence has surfaced that the former president has become a criminal target, though.
0: That, that's also untrue. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yes. This saying is not- Ken Delaney and blocked me after he came out. And uh, when the, when the Mueller report came out and he's like, look, no collusion, no obstruction. And, and I was like, that's not what it says. Did you read it? And then he blocked me. So of course he's a little weird. And this is where this is coming from. So, but, but this is a quote, we will follow the facts wherever they lead. And that's from Garland.
1: He said that in a speech at Harvard university's commencement ceremony last month, really interesting. And his deputy, Lisa Monaco, She's confirmed that prosecutors were looking into the legal ramifications for those who took part in schemes to push slates of fake electoral college members, declaring Donald the winner of states Joe Biden actually won. Now, filing criminal charges against Trump in connection with his efforts to overturn the election, and this is a quote, will very likely spark civil unrest and maybe even civil war. That's from Barbara McQuaid, okay? And we know who she is. She's she's an incredible NBC legal analyst and a former U.S. attorney. But, she said, and, and this quote continues, I think not charging is even worse because not charging means you failed to hold someone criminally accountable who tried to subvert our democracy. Indeed. Now, either way, went on to say it's a momentous and unprecedented decision, not as easy as some folks might imagine it to be. And that's from Chuck Rosenberg, said that NBC News legal analyst, who's a former federal prosecutor and former head of the Drug Enforcement Administration that came from him, now, the contours of a possible criminal case against Donald, they've been clear to legal experts for some time now. And a federal judge said in a ruling in a civil case in March that Donald, quote, more likely than not, committed federal crimes in seeking to obstruct the congressional count of the Electoral College ballots on January 6th, 2021, citing two statutes, obstruction of an official proceeding, which we've heard over and over and over, and a conspiracy to defraud the United States. So, as in most white-collar crime cases, Experts said the biggest challenge for prosecutors would be proving that Donald had criminal intent and he would not just fucking stupid, which he's going to be. I didn't know, but that he they want to prove that he knew he had lost. He knew he had lost the election, but pursued his fraud claims anyway. And we are getting mountains of evidence Mm -hmm. of people who told him you lost the election.
0: Mm -hmm. That's what today's hearings did. They laid it out pretty clear that he knew that he lost or he was being willfully blind to reality. And we're kind of waiting for that sort of smoking gun testimony where someone says, yeah, he told me he knew he lost. but yep. we were going to do this anyway. We're, I'm, we're waiting for that sort of evidence. And I'm wondering if the committee has it. And now we know that Merrick Garland is watching the hearings. He said on Monday, this is from Josh Gerstein. He says Merrick Garland said Monday he plans to watch the January 6th Select Committee's hearings in their entirety. He can't watch them live, but he will watch them in their entirety. But he remained a little bit dodgy about whether the Justice Department is exploring a potential criminal prosecution of the former guy or his top advisors. Of course he did. That's his fucking job. Quote, I am watching and I will be watching all the hearings, although I may not be able to watch all of it live. I can assure you also the January 6th prosecutors are watching all of the hearings as well. Garland reiterated past statements that discussing pending investigations could undermine prosecutors work and be unfair to individuals whose conduct is being examined, as well as more than 800 people charged criminally in connection with the events of January 6th. Quote, we don't impugn people until we actually charge them, he said. This is part of the rule of law in America. And while declining to discuss Trump or any other individuals mentioned at the White House hearings, Garland made clear that people could face charges even if they were not part of the mob that stormed the Capitol and battled with police. And and that's already been borne out, right? Tatario wasn't there and he's been charged with seditious conspiracy. Rhodes didn't enter the Capitol. So we have uh, evidence of that. Now, the attorney general said that prosecutors are exploring potential criminal conduct by individuals regardless of their level, their positions, and regardless of whether they were present at the events of January 6th. Now, asked whether longstanding Justice Department legal opinions are an impediment to bringing charges against high-level officials, you know, some of these Office of Legal Counsel memos we've talked about, Garland chose his words carefully, saying that such opinions pose no obstacle to investigating. He did not say whether they might in some cases discourage or preclude charges. Quote, there's nothing within the Office of Legal Counsel that prevents us from doing an investigation. There's nothing that's coming in the way of our investigation. We are proceeding with full urgency. We're just going to follow the facts wherever they lead. The DOJ has disappointed some folks on the House panel by declining two of the four contempt of Congress cases. That's Scavino and uh, Meadows, as we know. But they did indict Bannon and Navarro. And of course, Scavino and Meadows' cases were more complex, and that might be prosecutorial discretion as to, you know, we're going after bigger crimes. And by the way, Navarro's motion, speaking of him, his motion to delay his arraignment has been denied. Yeah. (laughs) So so he'll be arraigned on Friday. Oh, and he also didn't bother to respond to prosecutors' motion for a protective order. So Judge Mehta just granted it. It said, uh, here's the the order. On June 8th, the government filed a motion for protective order and to disclose grand jury testimony. The proposed protective order would, among other things, prohibit the defendant, Navarro, absent leave of the court, permission of the court, from using discovery materials for any purpose other than in connection with these proceedings, disclosing such materials except to authorized persons and reproducing the materials except for purposes related to the defense. The court enters the protective order, even though the defendant has not responded to the government's motion. On the day uh, after the government made the request, the defendant indicated in an email he would be drafting a response by close of business the next day. But the next day he filed a document called Motion for Documents Pertaining to Arrest. But that filing doesn't address the government's motion at all. And although the requisite 14 days have not passed for the defendant to file a response, the court enters the protective order now to authorize the release of grand jury material and other discovery material so the defendant can begin preparing his defense. So he just he just forgot to oppose it or he's you know, See, representing himself.
1: Oh God, only a fool. We know it. All right. This last story is actually a little horrifying, especially for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and I know a lot of you have seen this. Idaho police said they've received death threats since arresting the 31 men affiliated with white nationalist group Patriot Front near an annual LGBTQ event over the weekend. Now, Coeur d'Alene police chief Lee White spoke to reporters Monday saying that his department has fielded about 149 calls in the aftermath of the arrests. He said that about 50% of the calls have been praise from the community who offer their names and express pride in the department. Now, the other 50%, who are completely anonymous, who want nothing more than to scream and yell at us and use some really choice words, offer death threats against myself and other members of the police department merely for doing our jobs. That was from White directly. And he closed with, those people obviously remain anonymous because they're fucking cowards. Mm -hmm. Now, officers, they've also received threats of doxing. And what that is, it's a practice in which uh, someone publishes personal information such as phone numbers or addresses online. And that's from White again. Now, the majority of threats being made appear to be from outside Coeur community. That's according to the chief again. Now, a 911 caller reported seeing, quote, a little army of people in masks with shields in a U-Haul truck on Saturday. That's how this all started. Responding officers stopped the vehicle about 10 minutes later, and 31 people in, quote, similar attire were arrested. 31 people. The 911 caller will also not be identified for safety, I am sure. And this is another quote from White. Since myself and other members of my agency have been receiving threats, including death threats, I think it appropriate to withhold that person's information. I think that's a very good call. Now, police had received prior threats from, uh, quote, opposing groups leading up to the city's annual Pride in the Park event, and which highlights the civil rights and struggles of the LGBT plus communities. Additional staff were allocated to the Pride event, but there was no intelligence specific to Patriot Front Group. Again, that's from White. He praised the 911 caller for their diligence in reporting what they saw, saying it likely prevented a very dangerous conflict. It probably saved mass lives, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and now there are reports that many of them were armed. They had blunt force tools. I think we're going to see additional charges here. There could be hate crime charges. But uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Dana. I'm glad they're not releasing that 911 caller's identity because they would. So am I they would be getting threats as well. Yeah, it's a good call. All right, everybody, we'll be back right after this. We're going to talk to Victor Shi. He's the co-host of iGen Politics. His co-host is Jill Weinbanks. I think that's such an amazing pair. And it's a wonderful podcast. I highly recommend you check it out. It's on the Politicon Network, along with the Mary Trump and the uh, Sisters in Law podcast. It's great group of stuff that they're doing over there. And we're going to talk to him about the hearings right after this. Stay with us. If- Hey everyone, Father's Day is just around the corner and I have the perfect gift idea for you that he will absolutely love. Aura Frames makes digital picture frames designed to easily fill your home with photos of family and friends. You can instantly frame photos from any device anywhere and invite the whole family in on the fun through the Aura app. With the Aura digital frame, get your dad a gift that's as thoughtful as it is effortless to set up and use. You can even preload photos and add a personal video message that will display as soon as dad connects his frame. There's a free unlimited storage thing. Uh, you can add as many photos and videos as you like and invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are no hidden fees or subscriptions of any kind. Aura Frames was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter and the Strategist. It's guaranteed to make Dad smile. Plus, every frame comes with a beautiful gift-ready box. It's quick and easy. It's a great personal gift that he will appreciate as much as he treasures the memories your photos and videos will inspire. Uh, I have the Carver Lux Landscape Frame, which intuitively pairs two related photos side by side. I love how it's easy to use and all the extra features it has. It has the speaker for videos or the adjustable slideshow speed that allows me to see my photos for as fast or slow as I want. It's fantastic. And from now until Father's Day, save on the perfect gift and get up to $20 off while supplies last by going to AuraFrames.com and using the code DailyBeans at checkout. That's $20 off while supplies last by going to AuraFrames, A-U-R-A, frames.com and using code DailyBeans at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody, welcome back. Happy to be joined today by my new friend who I got to meet at Kathy Riven's house on Thursday when we watched the first January 6th hearing. He's the co host of iGen Politics, it's an amazing podcast, co hosted with
2: Jill Weinbanks. Please welcome Victor Shee. Hi, Victor. Hi, Alison. So great to be with you. Although not in person, but over Zoom this time.
0: In person soon. I'll be traveling to DC. Yes. We can hang out. We can talk oh, hearings. It's it. gonna be great. Love it. So the first thing I wanted to talk to you about were, were your takeaways from when we sat down and watched the yeah. first hearing on Thursday and your takeaways from from this hearing today and maybe some of the differences.
2: Yeah, for sure. So in terms of last Thursday, as you know, um, I think we were all nervous in that room. It was a bunch of us at Kathy's house. And I would say my biggest takeaway from that hearing was really just the scope of um what the committee is gonna cover. I think there was a lot of speculation about what exactly the committee is gonna focus on and one of the things that I thought was crucial isn't just focusing on January 6th itself, but also everything that was before January 6th. So the big lie, the coordination from the Trump campaign and administration officials to really set up that big lie, and then hopefully also talk about the ongoing threat to right now. So I think um, that was my biggest takeaway, was that the scope was going to be large. They have the seven-part uh, hearing planned out for the next couple of weeks. So that'll be exciting. I really thought that last Thursday was a great way to set up um, what's to come, and I thought. Uh, Betty Thompson was a great uh, chairman. He has such a great voice. just a really great personal story. Set up that trust between him and the audience right from the get-go. And I thought the two uh, witnesses, um, the documentarian, uh, Nick, as well as... the Capitol Police officer were both really, really strong witnesses to start off. Um, In terms of today, I will have to admit, I didn't get to watch um, the majority of it. I watched some recaps and and read some articles um, summarizing the events. Um, Today was the first day of um, this internship I have in DC, but I was able to catch a little bit. And um, just based off of, I I don't know, I, I feel like I'm not allowed to say this, although maybe I am, but I really feel like Donald Trump is delusional in so many different ways. I thought my biggest takeaway, just at least reading the Headlines was, you know, he knew that this was happening. Uh, courts told him, his Trump administration officials told him, um, people around him told him. I mean, it was everyone telling him that uh, you have no basis for spreading the big lie. There is no credibility for what you're telling the American people. And on top of that, that he benefited from it financially and he didn't, you know, disclose that to his uh, supporters. I mean, he's a grifter and I think he's delusional. And um, I just hope that, you know, for the days to come, that a committee can really show the American people why we just can't elect this man as president and hopefully the Department of Justice will take some sort of action.
0: Yeah, and and how also what this legislative body can do, because this is the purpose of the January 6th committee, is to come up with some legislation to convince the American public it needs to happen so that they pressure the Congress to do something and then put this legislation into place that prevents things like, you know, setting up your own... Pack on, on November 9th, two days after the election is called, and then raising money off of a, a lie, defrauding donors, throwing it all in this slush fund, and then personally enriching yourself out of it. That can't be legal. I don't think it is. And I think that the Justice Department, you know, Mayor Garland yeah. said he's watching closely right. today. I think it'll be really interesting. But this, you're right, the scope uh, of trying to fit and, and they've said it now in each hearing so far, look, We know there's more you want to probably hear about, Mm. but we are very limited in our time just because of how much. There's so much you're not going to get, but they are going to hand over all of their transcripts and depositions and evidence to the Department of Justice in September. And hopefully Merrick Garland will go from there. I don't think he needs it. I think it's in addition to the evidence Mm. that he's already probably compiled. So tell
2: us, Victor, about your internship. Yeah. So I'll be, um, so today was, First day of uh, this internship at the White House Office office of uh, National Drug Control Policy. So it's um, this drug control policy internship. I'm going to be in the HIDA division um, working on all sorts of different uh, issues. And um, today was just the tech day. So I got my IT equipment in. I'm excited for uh, what's to come.
0: Oh, my gosh. Internship in the White House. Congratulations. (laughs) And what? You're like 40, 50 years old?
2: Yeah. Older than that. Feel much older. (laughs) No, seriously. You're like, what, 22? Just
0: turned 20. 20. Oh, to be 20. And in a White House internship, There's. I can't even imagine the life you have ahead of you. It's going to be so I was telling dick jokes up until <laughs> you know f- five years ago, uh, and and now I'm I'm where I'm at. So you have like a thirty year head start. Oh my! God. On me in, in in the world of politics, it's going to be uh, fascinating. I'm really excited to see what you accomplish. Oh, thank you. Uh, that you already have a podcast with Jill Weinbanks. Tell us about Igen Politics and and what that podcast is about, why you started it, and how you how you got hooked up with uh, with Jill Weinbanks to be your co host. She is. An amazing, incredible prosecutor from the Watergate yeah. era. I've had her on my show several times. We've been on panels together.
2: Just a brilliant legal mind. Well, now that I met you, we need to have you on our show. We both love you. We've talked about you before, how much we love uh, Muller Shiro. And I told her uh, right after Kathy's that I met um, Allison Gills. And she was like, what? And I was like, yes. And um, so we both love you. Um, in terms of how the podcast formed, so we were both actually running to become delegates. She lives a few minutes north from me. And uh, we were in the same district, and uh, you know, back at the time, it was February of 2020, and Biden was kind of polling eh, not so well, and there weren't many young people supporting him. So um, we go to this delegate conference, and this all the Biden delegates, and Bill was like, "How is it possible that I both you know someone your age and someone my age can support Biden?" And um, we just started thinking of ideas of how we can attract a multi generational uh, support coalition for him, and so we thought of, you know, doing maybe like a YouTube video. And then um, I looked at podcasts. And so we kind of settled on the medium of podcasts. And then ever since it's just been um, an amazing ride, we uh, do it. It's an interview style. So we have on people and we ask them questions um, from her perspective as a lawyer and as um, someone who was in the Watergate era and someone uh, my age um, as a young person who kind of sees this world and hopefully brings that intergenerational dynamic. And um, we're lucky now that we're a uh, uh, produced by Politicon, which also does Mary Trump's podcast and um, her other podcast called Hashtag Sisters in Law. So it's um, really such a great family and just so, so fortunate to be with her and the rest of the Politicon podcast.
0: Yeah, it's so great. And it was great to jump on with yes. Mary Trump on the Mary Trump show that we did after that first hearing. And, you know, to get to see people like Dino Bedelia yeah. and, and Rob Reiner and Judy Gold and Norm I mean, it was just incredible. Brian Carrot, like an incredible group of of people
2: yeah. and an amazing family. It was like the Avengers, uh, the Avengers uh, Endgame music should have played. I mean, it was such an epic group. It was amazing. <laughs> Justice League, for sure. Yes.
0: So you were you were uh, running to be a Biden delegate in your first election that you were able to vote in. You were just 18. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. So I was 18. I uh, attended this delegate meeting because my AP government teacher told me, uh, you know, there's this opportunity. And I was like, hey, why not? Um, You know, I didn't think I would win. And then it happened to be because the way that like the I guess uh, how delegates become elected, it's proportional to the amount of votes that it's, uh, I guess, uh, voted for the candidate um, in the congressional district. So I squeaked by. And um, to my surprise, I guess, because of the age of usual delegates, I was um, elected as the youngest delegate um, in 2020.
0: Well, and we're glad that, that you were and we're glad that you got to meet Joel Weinbanks because now we have iGen Politics. I think that's oh. an incredible idea. Your first election is the Biden election. Yeah. My yeah. first election was the Clinton election in 1992, oh. his first. So yours was 20. Uh, yeah, 2020. Mine was 1992. Mm. And that to you, that's like the Beatles. I mean, that's like <laughs> that's how long ago that was. Stuff like that, that era. So I think it's uh, fascinating. I would love to come on and talk to you uh, and, and Jill. And uh, I, I really need to see at some point a photo of her entire collection oh my, of pins yeah. and brooches. And I think that there needs to be a catalog um, so that we can, you know, flip through and see. I, you know what would be, you know what I would buy? I would buy a coffee table book of all of her pins and explanations of them. Right. You could have all the money yeah. go uh, yeah, yeah. to uh, to swing left in the How We Win fund or something uh, or some sort
2: of chair. I would so love to have that oh my on my coffee table. It could be like Madeleine Albright's uh, book, uh, Read My Pins, except this could be hashtag Jill's Pins. Yes. It could be amazing.
0: Yes. Yes. And I only require a 5% cut for the idea. <laughs> Actually, which I would just donate anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> But it's been so great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. I'm going to be in D.C. I hope we can run into each other. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be on the show. And we're going to talk again, I know. Yes. And uh, congratulations on your internship. I mean, you are just rocketing into this into this world of politics. And I know that you are going to be a huge change maker. And I think that you're going to be a very, very important voice for many years to come. And I'm glad that you're on our team.
2: Thanks so much, Allison. And thank you so much for what you do, too.
0: Thank you. And everybody, we'll be right back with the good news. Hi, everybody. It's A.G. from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah. And Steve from from How How We Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming, and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in
1: key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We we organize. organize.
0: Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand
2: our Democratic majority this November.
0: We are so close to a Sinna,
1: mansion proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect Voting voting
0: rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. What? We beat Trumpism before, and together, we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org fundraise how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This, this is how we win. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news? Everyone? Then good news, everyone. (laughs) Good news, good news. And if you have any good news or confessions or corrections, anything you want to send us, Pod Pet photos, Halloween pictures, Happy place photos, anything you want to send us at all, you can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, I'm going to open up with a, a submission, a short one here from Beth, pronouns she and her. The other day, a pod pet was described as a Sado dog. You and Dana said you never heard of that. It's not a breed, it is a feral dog named for the dogs abandoned on Dead Dog Beach in Puerto Rico. It's also known as Sado Beach. There are quite a few rescues that work to help these animals. Most of them were pets once and make good pets again. I didn't know that. I didn't either. That's amazing, Beth. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab the next one, too, from Mary Pronouns She and Her. My good news is that my current city of Worcester, Massachusetts, celebrated its 300th anniversary this past weekend. On Saturday, June 12th, there was a 5K road race in the morning and then a parade and then a festival on Worcester Common in front of Worcester City Hall. I watched the parade and attended the festival with my friend. There were food trucks, live music, artists, and vendors. We had a lovely time. We also got free cookies. Someone went around handing out free cookies with the words Worcester 300 on them in edible icing. There was also so many people out and about with their dogs on Saturday. I admit I like dogs more than I like people. (laughs) KG, I hope you have fun in D.C. this week. Safe travels. Thanks, Mary. I hope I didn't botch the pronunciation of Worcester.
1: Oh, my gosh. So good. All right. This is a quick one from Dean B. No pronouns given. I noticed your lamp when I was watching you on MSNBC. Amen. How do you say it, A.G.? Because it's obviously... Uh, Amen. Amen Moadine. Thank you. Amen Moadine show. Great taste in lamps. And that's from Dean.
0: We have the same lamp. Cute. Thanks, Dean. Take a picture of yours. At the bottom one is mine. A little pineapple. All right. This next one's from
1: Lynn. Pronouns she and her. After months of depression and my resume is going down black holes. I have two interviews next week one for my city board of elections and another for my state delegate, the Maryland version of a state representative. Ooh, nice. These are positions I've wanted for so long. So please, my fellow Darling Beans, think Good Thoughts for a Random Bean in Baltimore. For my pet tax, and I really pet tax from, she, they said, for my pod tax, I present my excellent offspring who has graduated eighth grade and is going on to study stage design at the Baltimore School of Arts. Nice. Oh, that's
0: a cool school too. Uh, it's also a really
1: cool fucking tie. This offspring looks oh amazing.
0: God. Look at that. I have that same choker. I have that same choker. I love it. Okay. Just saying. All right. Thank you for that. And that's lovely. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations, Lynn. And uh, everyone, send the good vibes to Lynn for those two interviews. Next up from Kevin in New Hampshire. Of lounge and punk versions of the Bean theme notoriety, just in time for the January 6th hearings, I released an instrumental single called Come Back Home, which is specifically dedicated to the insurrection and features audio clips from Liz Cheney, Benny Thompson, Martin Luther King Jr. When will you hear those three on an alternative rock track again? Never. Some of the best dance students at UNH, where I teach Go Wildcats, also choreographed a dance routine for the piece. And everyone, there is a link to the video, which will feature the song in the show notes. Kevin from New Hampshire, thank you so much for that. In- and uh, should I just take this last one? Or are you, you want it? What do you want? No, you go it? for it. Take it. Take it away. All right. Daniel Duncan. Oh, this is cool. I interviewed Daniel Duncan. Uh, his uh, handle is at Duncan for SC. He says, holy shit, y'all. I mean, wow. I knew the leguminati was awesome, but fuck, y'all blew me away. I was shaking and crying various times by the volume of donations, tweets, and emails I received. I hated to, but I ended up having to copy and paste some thank you emails just because I couldn't keep up. Trust, please, that I wrote each version initially in response to a donor from the beans. And then I have Bill showing me up with his fancy postage stamps. Oh, look at me. I can afford to mail things. Just kidding. I love Bill. Let's talk about what I can afford now, because we had him on a Flip It Blue segment. He's running in a red district in South Carolina. He's Absolutely. He's got a really good chance of winning. And He says, here's what I can afford now, thanks to Leguminati, community events, feeding volunteers, burner SIM cards for phone banking, those expensive ass $4 a piece yard signs. Y'all gave me about $3,800 in a week and another $1,200 for Chris and Bill. That goes a long way for cheap country folks like us. We've even had some folks that could only give a buck or three, and I cried for a while as I typed their thank yous. I can remember not having enough money to withdraw from my ATM and those donations took me right back to those days. I'm honored that anyone would find room in their budget for me, whether it's a dollar, two, twenty five, two hundred fifty, or five hundred. You are all the greatest. I don't have pet tax on my campaign phone, <laughs> which I should remedy for my mental health. So I'll have to close with a heartfelt thank you to everyone, whether you donated, tweeted, or emailed me encouragement. It's given me room to focus on direct voter contact and not stress about the bills. P.S. No big deal, but I'll also be at a statewide fundraising dinner with Kamala on Friday night. First time meeting secret service or attending such a dinner. My 40th year is full of firsts. Dan Duncan. This is fantastic. Wow. You guys are amazing. we
1: got a good crew, AG. you built a good crew.
0: We do. I, I absolutely love it. This, this community is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Seriously. It's right there on top of my list.
1: I just, and I thank you everyone for being patient. I'll be back in LA tomorrow. And so uh, we'll have these glitches worked out, but you're always so wonderful and sticking through us in these moments where we're on the road. And I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. Even, you know, if it's just via zoom, I know everybody missed you dearly. And so did I. So thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see how this goes. She's flying in. I'm flying out. (laughs) We're (laughs) going to make it happen, though. We will bring you a show and it's going to be important. It's going to be big. I have a feeling the news day is going to be big tomorrow. I just have a feeling. I have a feeling something big is going to happen on Tuesday. Give
1: it to me. Put it right into my
0: veins, A.G. June 14th. So put some beans on it. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be big. Thank you so much, everybody. Until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Mm MSW Media.